Hello, I'm Katie Sewell. I live in Seattle. My co-host, Tiffany Parks, lives in Rome, Italy. Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. This week, I want to thank Valerie, Heather, Ed, Laura, Estrella, and Keith. Thank you so much. If you love the show, please send in your financial gift today. Just like you buy a movie online or pay for public radio, pay for the podcasts that you love as well. You can find us on patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast or donate through PayPal at thebittersweetlife.net. There are links in the show notes. I recently saw a tweet that said something along the lines of, this is what it means when you spend your money in small business. And it quoted a small business owner who had just received an order for $50 with a crying emoji that said, this will pay for half my groceries this week. You don't get that in major corporations. Support the small things that you love. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by Nancy Pearl. She is a best-selling author, a librarian, and literary critic. But first and foremost, she is a reader. She's a librarian for the whole world, some people would say. And she regularly appears on NPR and on television, including her own show called Book Lust with Nancy Pearl. In 2017, she came out with a great book called George and Lizzie, which I was lucky enough to interview her for on stage. And she also has a brand new book out right now called The Writer's Library, The Authors You Love and the Books That Change Their Lives. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Katie. We're not actually going to be talking about your newest book until sometime in the new year. Yes, and I'm looking forward to that too. But this is my favorite thing to do pre-holidays, talking about some good books for gifts. Yes, exactly. So we are, Nancy's going to walk us through, there's really nothing better than giving a person a book, especially a book you really love. But I actually find too, and I don't know if you find the same thing, that books are actually good gifts for people you don't know as well. It's certainly one way of testing out a friendship, (laughs) if it's a real friendship. If you give somebody a book that you loved and they don't even bother reading it, or you can tell that they started it and stopped and didn't like it, you know, I would say maybe look for somebody who loves the same kind of books that you do. Do you find that uh, friends should like the same kind of books? No, because, you know, everything with liking or not liking a book depends so much on mood, you know, where you are in your life, what you bring to the book when you're reading it. And in fact, no two people ever read the same book. You know, everybody reads a different version of the book according to who they are, according to their mood. Mood is so important in whether or not you like a book. Although when I was in Australia, I was on a radio show in Sydney with um, a teacher librarian who was about my age. And we became friends as a result of that interview because we discovered, oh, we liked the same books. And then a few years later, when I was back in Australia, we went over to her house um, for dinner and I looked at her bookshelves and they were like my bookshelves. And it was just it was so wonderful to find somebody on the other side of the world who actually 
has the same books that you do for the same reason that you can't bear not to have them in your house. Yeah, that's pretty lovely. Yeah. You and I have always had slight differences of opinions sometimes. Yes. Because, right. uh, you know, for instance, like I'll read darker things than you prefer to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I have to say, especially during this pandemic year, I have avoided for the most part, darker things. Yes. Like the plague. Right. (laughs) Well, kick us off. What book should we start with as far as a recommendation? Okay. So the first one is a reprint of a novel that came out in 2002. So it's 18 years old. It's by Robert Littell, and it's called The Company. And it's basically a novel about the history of the CIA. I mean, if you like spy novels, if you're a fan of the John le Carre school of spy novels, that is very narrative heavy, very going deep into the weeds. Those are the kinds of spy novels I love. Then Robert Littell's The Company is the book for you. It's almost 900 pages Mm. and is just stunning. And it's going to take a long time to read. It's the kind of thing to really get engrossed in. I think anyone who's interested in politics and contemporary politics the late 20th century, early 21st century life, very early 20th century life of the way the government works and the way spies operate. Really, Robert Littell, he's one of the American John le Carres, I would say. Maybe the American John le Carre. My parents have actually been reading books aloud during this pandemic. Uh-huh. And both books they've chosen have been gigantic. Really? So this might be a good one for them. Yeah, yes. yeah, right. It's a great novel, many different characters. And you really get a sense of that wilderness of mirrors where everything is not exactly the way it seems to be. Very nice. Very nice. Yes. And by the way, I'm taking I'm writing down the titles as you go. So for those of you listening, if you miss one, we'll have it in the show notes. Okay. Well, the second one is another book about spies. But this is nonfiction. And it's called The Quiet Americans for CIA Spies at the Dawn of the Cold War, a tragedy in three acts. And I think really this would be a wonderful accompaniment to read when you finish the company to read The Quiet Americans or vice versa. Um, The Quiet Americans is by Scott Anderson, who's a wonderful, wonderful uh, narrative nonfiction writer. He's the author of a great biography of T.E. Lawrence called Lawrence in Arabia. And what he's really good at is context. So with this book, The Quiet Americans, and of course the title is a nod to Graham Greene's great novel, The Quiet American. He talks about the beginning of the CIA, how it grew out of the OSS, those people in Washington who who thought we needed a secret agency, those people who thought there's no need for it, but especially these four men who were there at the beginning and what happened to them set against the role that the CIA took in the second half of the 20th century. You know, Scott Anderson isn't pretending that he believes something. I mean, this is a a very honest book from his perspective. When you find somebody who's exploring exactly what you think, you tend to like the book. (laughs) (laughs) The Quiet Americans was one of my favorite books of the year and um, highly, highly recommend it. Do you tend more toward fiction or nonfiction? You know, this year, 
it was really more toward fiction, although there are two nonfiction books. Well, actually, one is not really nonfiction. I guess this is the only nonfiction book that I absolutely loved, although there were other books that I wanted to love and probably would have had it not been so pandemic-y. <laughs> right. The pandemic really did put a pale on what you could read this year. I did it find did. that, too. Yeah. I read a great nonfiction book this year called Romantic Outlaws, The Extraordinary Lives of Mary Wollstonecraft and Her Daughter Mary Shelley by Charlotte Gordon. I don't think it's a new book. I think it's quite a ways past now, maybe 2012 or something like that. But wow, did she bring those people to life. It was amazing. And I think that's what the best nonfiction writers do is bring, really bring the past to life in a way that the book is accessible not to specialists in the field, but accessible to what we in, in the library world used to call the interested reader, you know, somebody who has an interest in that topic, who loved Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, who's interested in Mary Wollstonecraft and that whole circle of people. Mm -hmm. And that would be that kind of a book. Yes. All right. Well, what else? I know you have tons, so I shouldn't keep interrupting you. The next book is one that I, I also absolutely loved. And this is a book, I recommended this today to a friend who was looking for a book for her 17-year-old niece, who is a real, real reader. And this is a brand new edition of the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas by Gertrude Stein. And what makes this book so special, not only is not only is Gertrude Stein such a clever, funny person, but the whole, you know, the whole way it's set up that it's an autobiography of the woman that Gertrude Stein was basically married to for years and many, many decades. But it's also for anyone who's interested in Paris in the early years of the 20th century, this would be a perfect book. But what makes what I love about this book, if it weren't radio, I could show you the pictures, are the fabulous illustrations by Mara Kalman. And Mara's, she, she's sort of able to get into these characters and just depict them in an absolutely wonderful, wonderful way. You know, I was sure I had read the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas at some time, but I sure didn't remember it, which is kind of unusual for me, because usually I do remember the books that I've read. <laughs> so I sat down and reread the whole thing again, or for the first time. And I just, I loved it. It is so clever. And anybody who was anybody went to visit this Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas in their salon in Paris. Hemingway was there. Picasso was there. The great artists, the great writers, every single American expat visited them. And so they knew everybody. And you read about everybody in this fabulous, fabulous. Terribly book. jealous of those people. <laughs> but they didn't have a podcast. That's true. They ha couldn't have even dreamed of having a no. podcast. But wouldn't that have been fun? I mean, the illustrations, the cover illustration, Alice B. Toklas was very well known for her little mustache. And so the cover of the book is Mara's drawing of Alice B. Toklas with this little mustache. I, I don't know. Maybe this is my favorite book of the year. Wow. It's so much fun to read. I, yeah, I loved it. That's great. Do you often, I know you, you said you didn't remember this book, but do you often reread books if you really love them? I do. But you know, Katie, it's really, 
I, I've come to think that rereading a book that you love is really like a crapshoot. I mean, because you were a certain person at the time you read that book, and you're a different person now mm. when you're reading it. And I, I think there's reading wise, there's nothing sadder than having loved a book and reading it again and discovering that you just didn't connect with it, that it just didn't have any of the same meaning or power that it had when you first read it. A really good example for me is a book that I that was so important. It was a novel by um, Walker Percy called The Movie Goer. When I read it when I was 18 and the main character, the main female character in the book was about that age and she was really depressed and I was really depressed at that time. And I just I, I just identified with her so much. And and then I read it, you know, 30 or 40 years later. I don't know. And I, I just, you know, I was no longer 18 and I was no longer that depressed. And I, I just thought, why did I love this book so much? <laughs> but I did. I did. So so it's kind of sad, I think. I always, you know, I, I tend to go back and want to reread a lot of the books that I loved but now I've started to sort of trying to think it through. What if I'm disappointed by this book? What's going to happen? But I am a rereader. Yes. Which book do you not want to tempt destroying? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, that's a really... Oh, I know. Uh, so all the books that I loved when I was a teenager. Yeah. All of those books, which were just so central... Um, <laughs> To who I was. I owned them all. I mean, I own many of them because I would pick them up at library book sales and things like that. Yeah. They just remain on my shelf. All the books by Betty Cavana, for example. <laughs> at this point, they're just like memories, really. <laughs> yes, they are. And and maybe it's best, best to remember and not reread. Yes. All right. Well, what else new do we have? Okay. So um, Graham Swift is a British writer. He won the Booker Prize for his novel, Last Orders. And this is his brand new book called Here We Are. And it's set in a variety show, a vaudeville show in Brighton in 1951, Brighton, England in 1951. You, you know, one of those shows on the pier and you paid like a few pence and there, you know, you were entertained for for a while. And it's about three people, two men and a girl who are in the vaudeville show. One of the men is the announcer for the whole show. And the other is a fabulous magician and his beautiful assistant. And it's about the intertwined relationships of those three. But it's a book that goes forward in time and backward in time. So you're not reading a book that is strictly narratively congruent. What Graham Swift does is you read about the people now, then you're going to read about the people, what happens to them, then you're going to go back into their distant past. And I happen to love books like that, especially books that are so beautifully written. Graham Swift is an amazing just an amazing writer. And this is a book that is less than 200 pages. Yeah, 195 pages. So it's a book that that's not going to weigh you down, except that the book itself and the way that Graham Swift describes these people and describes their lives 
is so deep. They're so three dimensional that you really you really feel close to them. And there's a surprise in this book. Not going to give it away, but there is the surprise. And I mean, for me, it was a perfect book because that's a period. I mean, I'm a really a, a real Anglophile, and it's a book that is set both during World War II and immediately after, which is a period that I think a lot of people are interested in, hence Call the Midwife, that kind of series, which was set about that time. One of the characters in the book was one of those kids who was taken out of London because of the bombing and sent to the country. And the title actually, Here We Are, is what the mother of the family who took this little boy in used to say all the time. Well, here we are. <laughs> and so here we are. Uh, so that was Graham Swift. That's lovely. It's a wonderful book. I, I have to say I've been a fan of Graham Swift's for, for a long time. And probably what was my favorite book before Here We Are is an early book of his called Waterland, in which a history teacher talks about um, his life and the life around him. And it's set in the Fens in England. So it's set in a water land. And except for the fact that there are a lot of eels in the book in various ways, and I'm not fond of eels at all. Um, (laughs) That I think would prevent me from going back and rereading Waterland. But oh my gosh, the first time I read that, it just I mean, it was so, such a beautiful, beautiful book. And Here We Are is another beautiful book. Yeah, that's great. Although that makes me want to introduce you to some eels, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever met an eel? No, no. That's a side story, but during my scuba certification. Really? We were doing in the dead of winter, so kind of a a miserable experience in the Puget Sound uh, area because the water's so cold. So I asked the instructor, well, sure, we're doing all these tests. Is there anything we could do that would be fun while we're down there? And he said, well, I do know where a few eels live. Really? So he brought some shrimp or whatever eels like to eat and took me to see them. And they came out like house cats. They were practically like sitting on his lap, eating out of his hands. You know, it was amazing. Yeah. Well, I guess I just, what occurs to me whenever I think about eels is all of those 19th century books where where to cure a fever yes leeches etc leeches right right to draw out the sickness the illness yeah i'm not fond of eels (laughs) (laughs) all right what else do we have all right so so this is a total change of pace okay this is one of those books that um i would have said if anyone was traveling from here to the East Coast to make that trip go by a little faster or better coming back from the East Coast when it's usually an hour you know, longer because you're not going with the Gulf Stream. This is that kind of book. It's called Hench. You know how superheroes always have sidekicks like Batman has Robin and, you know, all of that. <laughs> well, what do the bad guys have? What do the criminals have? They have henchmen or hench people. And Hench is the story of a henchwoman named Anna who works for one of the most dangerous criminals in the world. And what Anna is good at, when you're a hench person, usually you're taken into the, you're brought into these awful situations and you're supposed to, you know, help shoot your way out or 
you know, do very bad things. Mm-hmm. Well, Anna's great talent has nothing to do with weaponry, but her great talent is analyzing big data hmm. via spreadsheets. She's like the Excel queen, I suppose you could say, although the author doesn't use that phrase. And what Anna, because of something that happens early in the book, Anna becomes very interested in doing a cost-benefit analysis of what superheroes do. So superheroes can save one person's life, for example, but the whole city can be leveled because of their trying to save. So doing this cost-benefit analysis convinces Anna and her boss that superheroes need to be taken out of the equation, and they go after the most famous superhero around at that time. When I read this book, I mean, I love this book so much that I want there to be a sequel. If she can come up, if the author, um, Natalie Walshots, can come up with a sequel, I, for one, would be very, very happy. I loved it. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah. Should I do one more? I think we have time for probably two more. Okay. So this one is called Set My Heart to Five. It's another lighthearted novel. And I interviewed the author, Simon Stevenson. Simon Stevenson is um, a Brit. He's an MD. His first book was nonfiction. He wrote about um, his brother's death. And he wanted to do something a little lighter. He is now a screenwriter for Pixar and worked on the movie Cars. So Set My Heart to Five is set in a world a little bit down the line than our own. So it's not set in 2020 or 2021. It's a little bit in the future where a lot of things have just stopped working. A lot of internet kinds of things have just stopped working because people have forgotten the name of their third grade teacher. So they can't access their email or they can't get onto Google or whatever. And the main character in this book is an android named Jared, a bot. And bots have been developed uh, using human DNA, have been developed to do the jobs that humans aren't so good at doing. And one of those jobs is being a dentist, because what distinguishes a bot or an android from a human being is that it's generally agreed that bots don't have emotions. And it's much easier to be a dentist if you're not feeling sorry, right, for your patient, if you have no empathy for your patient. Because (laughs) if you do, you know, you're not going to, you have to hurt to heal, especially in dentistry. So Jared is a dentist who learns through watching the movie Love Story. He discovers, because of the way he reacts to it, he discovers that that he cried while watching the ending of Love Story. And that convinces him that he needs to go to Hollywood and become a screenwriter and write something that will convince humans that bots are they're equal, that there is no difference, that bots have deep emotions as well. I got to interview Simon Stevenson because I loved this book so much. I said, well, you know, what do you think about the adjective heartwarming to describe your book? And we had this great conversation about can a book be heartwarming without being sappy, entirely sappy? And I have to say, yes, set my heart to five is heartwarming 
you'll finish and you'll say, ah, you know, ah. However you're going to say, ah, that will be, I predict, one of your responses. But it's not sappy at all. And Jared is a great character. And it's written in charts and screenplays. We read a little bit of his screenplay, uh, Jared's screenplay. And it's just an absolute delight. It's called Set My Heart to Five. And the cover has like a toaster with pieces of toast coming up because toasters only go up to five normally. And so there's Jared with his emotions because of the way he's programmed not to go higher than five. And it turns out that the bots all share some wiring or some programming with toasters. So it all makes sense in the book. So that's Simon Stevenson's Set My Heart to Five. It oh sounds like a potential for a Pixar movie. It, it, well, it is going to be a movie. Is it? There, yeah, <laughs> it is going to be a movie. And I think it's going to be, and he's involved in it. So I think it's just going to be absolutely great. It's so funny. It's one of those books where you sit down. I mean, I was sitting down and reading it and my husband was reading his own, you know, reading something else. And I would sort of nudge him and say, listen to this. Isn't this isn't this great? And then, of course, you had to read the book, you know, in order to really get it. So let me do one more. Yeah, let's do one more. So this one is an older title. This came out in 2018. But I loved it. And I wanted to do something for the um, for the biography fans who are listening, and especially for people who are watching The Crown. Yes. <laughs> and I'm a devoted watcher of that. So this is a book called 99 Glimpses of Princess Margaret by Craig Brown. And this is a biography of Princess Margaret, but it's not your traditional biography. It doesn't begin with her birth and end with her death. Instead, it's like 99 different snapshots taken from Princess Margaret's life, not in in order of how they really occurred in her life. And I have to say that in those early seasons of The Crown, they really captured Princess Margaret. This book just shows so much of of who she really is. It's a wonderful way to do a biography. And it's especially wonderful when you're writing about somebody who was such a strong character. And Princess Margaret was certainly that. Oh, my goodness. I love this book. Yeah, I love this book. And I could see going back and rereading it, because you're going to read it and just be appalled by some of the things that she is, and then also feel very sorry for her because she didn't have a very happy life. Yeah, I absolutely love books that are in snapshot form. Uh-huh. Oh, good. Like uh, we recently had on uh, Bill Hayes for his book, How We Live Now, uh-huh. which was all scenes from the earliest part of the pandemic. Yeah. But it's yeah. really the snapshot, but it creates this kaleidoscope of what it was like without having to dig way into it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I And I think... You know, something that could be like how we live during the pandemic. It's so varied and it's so interesting how different people react to events. And that's what makes this book about Princess Margaret so interesting as well. Yes. The kind of dynamic, the dynamism of it in a way. So there, we've now solved all of your holiday shopping problems. Indeed. Pick the book or two that sounds the best, order it, and uh, there you go. You're all set. 
And what about you, Nancy? What are you going to be reading next? So I'm very excited because Russell Banks, one of my very favorite authors, has a new novel coming out. I'm really looking forward to that. I love his writing and I just think I love his novels, especially. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to start that this afternoon, in fact. That's great. Well, I'll let you go (laughs) so you can get to it. Thank you so much. Uh, Nancy Pearl, America's favorite librarian, NPR star. What else? Author of George and Lizzie. Yes. And your friend, Katie. Yes. And my friend. Yes. And we'll have you on for your newest book sometime in the new year. And then we can talk. That sounds great. More. That'd be great. That'll that'll be fun. Okay. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Talk to you next week. Bye. We are in the holiday season. A time for giving and a time for getting. And a time for reflection. What meant a lot to you in 2020? What kept you sane and entertained? What gave you hope? If this show helped get you through this year, please remember, we are an independent show. We have no corporate backing, no home radio station that is urging us on. We do this for you. We show up for you. If you love the show and have the means, send in a financial gift today. There are links in the show notes. And give your friends and family the gift of the show as well, just by telling them about it. It's as easy as sending a text. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. And we'll talk to you next week.